we're in a point in human history where transformation and change is about the only constant, where it's changing more rapidly, a little bit arguably, but not, you don't need too big of an argument to make this case, that things are changing faster now than they ever had at any point in human history. It's not just addition and, 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 and slight changes or even massive changes, it's exponential change is the word a lot of these social scientists use. And we can blame these two guys for at least part of that. Over here, you probably recognize Steve Jobs, and this was in 2007 when he introduced the iPhone for the first time. Can you believe that? It was just 10 years ago. Whether you're an Android person or, or an iPhone person, I don't want to get into that whole argument, but that changed things. And that was about the same time that Google became Google, like we know Google is today. What did you do before you Googled things? What, what did you do before that was a verb in your life? Who did you ask? Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, absolute trivial kinds of things that nobody needs to know, and the important things too. It's not just the cell phone, it's not just the way we talk to people or communicate or connect, it's the whole digital revolution. This guy you may not know as well, uh, just real briefly, this is Marty Cooper. He's 88 years old now, lives in Chicago, worked for Motorola, and he's the guy who invented the cell phone. And this is the 1983 version. Remember the kind, those of you who are old enough that was bigger in my forearm and you needed a harness in order to carry it around, but you were styling uh, with one of these. You're also getting cancer with it probably, but you were styling because it, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in that phone. Uh, so one thing leads to another, leads to another. What's 10 or 20 years down the road? I mean, we can hardly remember what life was like before these phones. Over 30% of Americans admit and since that's just those who admit it, I'm guessing that there's probably more. But over 30% of Americans admit that the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning and the last thing we do before we go to bed tonight is check our phones. Check it for what it messages, social media updates, things that happened overnight, the weather, uh, a map to get to where you want to go, uh, what text messages, whatever it might be. It's all there in that one little phone. We're living in a time that looks like this. And it's a little bit intimidating and scary uh, when we think about it. This uh, axis, this part of the line represents change. The horizontal line represents time. So over time in human history, things changed and we progressed or new inventions would come along, the telephone, the radio, the television, and we would adapt to that change. In fact, the emotional ability for the human race to adapt to change you notice it's moving up. Hopefully you can see that on the scale. It isn't just flat. It, it moves forward. But here's the problem. Most social scientists say X marks the spot. We are here right now. And so there's this developing gap between the kinds of, this is technological change here, and this is our emotional ability as the human race to adapt to it. Somewhere, not so long ago, in the last 10 years, we fell behind in our emotional ability as human beings to adapt to the exponential rate of change around us. And it's not just technology, it's the population of human beings on planet Earth which are following a very similar kind of curve. For the longest time, generation after generation, century after century, uh, the human race grew. 
We were fruitful and multiplied according to God's command. And so there was growth. And there's blips along the way of famine hits or disease, and so it drops. But then overall, it, it continues to grow until a few generations ago when all of a sudden it started exploding. And it's not just the number of people on planet Earth that's causing so much change and, and uh, kind of a sense of shifting sands. And if you don't think about it consciously, you at least feel it. You sense that this kind of stuff is going on. All these changes around us. Globalization is happening. China is waking up and India is waking up and they aren't going to be falling asleep again. They're not going back. The, the, the changes that have happened, we can long for things to go back to the way they were in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s, but wanting it to happen isn't going to make it happen. We can disconnect and we can, you know, we're going off the grid. We can, we can just say, that's it, I've had it, I, I'm de detaching from the whole world. That's one way to cope with this. But the problem is we still have a world where there's going to be a gap. And maybe you say, well, I'm actually an early adapter. I can change a little faster, yeah, but you still can't keep up. Nobody's going to be able to keep up to the rate of change that's happening in the world around us. If it makes you feel any better, here's the rate of change for the church over history. It kind of moves, you know, from here to here. I don't mean hope, I just mean the church in general. Hope is much better than that. In fact, we're excited about continuing to explore and pioneer new areas of ministry all for the sake of the gospel. Hear me clearly on this. The gospel message doesn't change, but the way we communicate it necessarily must if we're going to effectively reach out to this world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. But that all points us back to Pentecost, and it all points us back to Acts chapter 2, and it points us back to the Word. Because we have this gap between all of the change that's happening around us and our ability to emotionally adapt to all of this change, we have this as well. And this is the problem. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you're consciously aware of it. Maybe there's just some sense of, uh, of dissatisfaction or unfulfillment or a sense of, of angst that you aren't able to keep up anymore. And the world's happening so, it's changing so rapidly around you that, that you wonder if it's ever possible to keep up. We can't go back, it's not gonna happen. And so we either have to close this gap by trying to keep up, which if we're gonna be honest, isn't gonna happen either. So we're kind of stuck. We have a serious problem is what we've got. And that's why so many people are feeling so much of this. Depending on what study you want to believe between, get this, 29% and 60% of high school students are battling anxiety in their lives. 29 to 60%. That's new. That wasn't the case a generation ago. Something's changed. Something's happening, and it isn't just because kids are, are, are emotionally not the same as they used to be once, but it's because the environment around them has changed. And there's all sorts of theories and reasons as to, to why we, we put kids up on pedestals and we want them to be performers and human doings instead of human beings. When do they get to be? When do they get to have a childhood? When do they get to just have fun? When, when, when do they get to breathe? When, when do they have to not have to try to keep up with everybody else around them all the time and just enjoy life and, and, and soak it up? That's for you and the Lord to work out in your own families. I'm just putting it out there as the angst is growing, not just for teenagers, but for people of every age demographic. So where do we turn? Well, when we have nowhere else to go and when nothing less will do, we have to turn back to God. 
And that's what Pentecost and Acts 2 is really all about. That's the theme in this story. Change the way you think, Peter says at the end of Acts chapter 2, to the thousands of people who are cut to the heart, the Bible says, in the midst of angst and, and, and wanting to figure out what their next steps should be. Turn to God so that he can turn to you. Turn back to God. Change the way you think and come back to the one who's steady and consistent and has the power to give you a peace which passes all human understanding in the midst of all of this. The Bible puts it this way in Hebrews 13 verse 8. This is one amongst dozens of verses I could point you to. Not proof texting here, introducing you to a theme or reviewing a theme for you if you already know it. At whatever campus you're at, let's read this verse together. Say it out loud. I want you to soak it up and, and just immerse yourself in it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's read it again, twice as loud. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Twice as loud. He sounded a little angry. I didn't want you to be angry, but that's all right. He is! That'll show you angst. But it will. He's the same. I mean, think, think about, ponder deeply what this means. It's not a throwaway verse. You can just read through it and say, yeah, yeah, intellectually I know that. There's a consistency to God, and God doesn't change. The world might change, producing all sorts of angst, but God doesn't change. Thank God. That's great. But when you start to think about what you're saying, and then you start to apply it to your life, it starts to really bless you. Here's another example from the Old Testament this time, Malachi chapter 3. God speaks through the prophet Malachi and says, say this to my people. I want to make sure they know. I'm God, God says to us, and because I haven't changed, you haven't been destroyed. Return to me so I can return to you. You realize what God's saying? And this is not going to be drawn perfectly to scale, but it's red for Pentecost. See what I did there? Where's God in this picture? Well, he's everywhere. If I had a red crayon, I'd shade it all in. What God is saying here in this passage and in this massive theme in the Bible is, I've got this. I'm above it. I'm underneath it. I'm in the midst of it. And I've got you. I've got this. Return to me so I can return to you. In the midst of all the shifting sands of the world around you, in the midst of all the challenges that you're suddenly face to face with in your daily life, God reminds you and he reminds me today, I've got this and I've got you. I've got it all covered. There isn't a part of this that I'm not in and I can't handle. I'm with you. And that's not just some sort of spiritual or religious thing that you velcro onto the side of your life and you know you kind of say oh that's kind of nice and maybe that'll help some of the important things in my life this is a core truth this is God saying because I haven't changed you're not going to be destroyed I've got you I've got this I'm the God of creation I'm not really intimidated by all the changes that are going on God reminds us you might be because the human capacity to keep up with it you're not going to be able to keep up. But I've got that. And so we can either bury our heads in the sand, pretend it isn't happening, and live in denial, which might not be a terrible idea if you're not going to go with the God option. Or we can try to adapt and keep up, which is only going to be futile and frustrating. I mean, please, I mean, feel free. Try to adapt. That's important. The church will try to do that as well. But 
this gap. This gap is closed by the God who's got it. The God who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who is, was, and always will be. The Bible testifies to all of this as truth. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who says, return to me so I can return to you. I haven't changed. I'm still here. And that will always be the consistent truth. I want to fill you up with my presence and the peace that comes from me being present in your life. So of course then the question is, have you been hanging out with God? Do you turn to God? Or are you trying to figure out this life all by yourself? Or trying to do most of it by yourself? And then throw a little religious, you know, pixie dust on top of it when you might need a little boost. That's not going to cut it anymore. Perhaps now more than ever, in this rapidly changing world, we need God and we need his presence in our lives, which just happens to be the definition of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times Christians trip up on this. We, we resist the Holy Spirit. We misunderstand the Holy Spirit. We underestimate the Holy Spirit. We say, I'm pretty good with God as Father, pretty good with God as Son, the first two persons in the Trinity. That whole God, the Holy Spirit thing, eh, I really don't know what you're talking about there, preacher boy. I really have no idea. I, I get that there's a creator of the universe, a, a father of Jesus, a father of all of his children, a good father, not a bad father, not an abusive father, not the father that you didn't deserve, the good father that you should have had. I'm that father. I'm your heavenly father, God says. We can kind of get that. Say, okay, that's God, the creator of the universe, and he wants to be in a relationship with us the way a good dad is with his kids, a loving dad. And we can understand even probably better because he walked the face of this earth, Jesus Christ, his son, the second person in the Trinity. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead. He was God in the flesh. Father and son are pretty, are not too difficult to intuitively grab onto. Holy Spirit, who again? Who, who's that? Is that like junior God? Is that like some sort of like side version of God? Is that like a, a, a sense of God? No, the Holy Spirit is God. Is as much God as the Son and the Father, according to the Bible. The fullness of God dwells in the Holy Spirit. So it might be good for us to get to know this Holy Spirit a whole lot better, especially when we're living in this kind of a world. Because here's the simplest definition of the Holy Spirit that I could possibly uh, come up with in, in my mind. Bible-based, I believe. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the present tense who is present with you right now. The Holy Spirit is the God who's sitting next to you right now. And I don't mean the person next to you is God. I mean like in between you. He's the God who's knocking on the door of your heart right now, or if you've let him in, he's the God who's in your heart. He's the God who dwells inside of you. He's the God who is not bound by time and space in this world, and so this God is with each and every one of you at whatever campus or whatever computer or phone you're watching this sermon on right now. God is with you. It really doesn't matter if we acknowledge it or not. Which is somewhat intimidating when we start to review the tape of where we've been this last week and what we've been doing and what we've been thinking and what our motivation was and any kind of sin that we might have, uh, you know, engaged in by thought, word, or deed. But it doesn't need to be intimidating because God is a God of grace. 
And he comes to us and he comes alongside of us and he knocks on the door of our heart and he says, open it up. Return to me so I can return to you. Change the way you think. Come back to me so I can come to you. During the summer, we're going through this series of sermons in the book of Acts. I couldn't be more excited about it, calling it the Summer of Acts. It's like the Summer of Love, the the Summer of Acts here at Hope. And really, it's a story. It's a great love story. It's about God's love for you through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed up, not just in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit showed up all throughout the Bible. If you read the creation story in Genesis 1, you'll see that the Spirit was there hovering over the waters of creation. Of course, because he's God. If you dig deeper in through the Old Testament, you'll notice, oh, I didn't see that before. You know about Samson and Samson's strength. If you were at the Sunday school for more than three months as a kid growing up, you heard the story of Samson, the guy with the long hair, and the hair gave him the strength, right? Read the story again. The Bible says it was the Holy Spirit. Those of you who are like, wait a minute, I've had this hair down to my waist my whole life because I thought it was a sign of strength. Well, it's a sign of strength, but it's the Holy Spirit who gives you the strength, who gave Samson the strength. Gideon, you know Gideon from the Old Testament. You know Gideon because anytime you go to a hotel and you open the drawer, there's Gideon. This Bible placed here by the Gideons, right? Gideon had this wonderful gift of leadership. He went from the weakest link in the weakest tribe of all of Israel to the strongest leader at that point and arguably in the history of Israel up to that point. Gideon's this great leader. Where did he get that leadership ability? Where did it come from? The Bible tells you it was the Holy Spirit who gave it to him. Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, where did he get his gift to prophesy? Read it in the Old Testament. The Bible says it was the Holy Spirit who gave him the gift. But if you read the the Old Testament carefully, you'll notice the Holy Spirit is showing up for particular people at particular times for particular tasks. Then God speaks through the prophets like Jeremiah and Joel and says, but behold, the day is coming when God's going to do a new thing. This is the old thing, the old covenant, the Old Testament. God's going to do a new thing, the new covenant, the New Testament. And his promise is the way that's going to happen is he's going to pour out his spirit upon you. He's going to do a new thing. And it won't just be the Holy Spirit coming to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. It'll be the Holy Spirit poured out upon, please, if you don't hear anything else I say today. It'll be the Holy Spirit poured out on everybody. On everyone. The presence of God. The creator of the universe. His love, the fullness of his life-changing, powerful, I've got it all covered for you and I've got you love. Poured out for all people. All people. Too many Christians think, well, after I die someday, maybe I'll get together with God. But until then, I don't know. There's no way that I can be connected to God because Jesus isn't here anymore and God's up in heaven wherever that is. And so when I die, hopefully I'll get there and God will invite me into his kingdom and then we can hang out together. You're missing the best part of Christianity right now. You can hang out with God right now. 
That's what the promise of the Father is through the prophets of the Old Testament that's fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And so I really don't know why Christians don't celebrate Pentecost as much as we do Christmas and Easter, because it's a huge deal. I mean, Christmas, it makes sense. Jesus is coming into the world. Easter, even more so. Jesus wins victories for us over sin, death, and the darkness of evil. But Pentecost, it's telling the story about how God's love through his Holy Spirit is poured out for you. For everybody, all around the whole world, it's poured out for us. That's the story we read in Acts 2. It was this extraordinary move of God. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to hang out with God. He's here with you right now, knocking on the door of your heart. Not because some preacher stands up here and says, yeah, this is the way I want it to be. Because you've got God's word on it. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus promises. Over and over again, these promises come to us. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Open it up. Return to me so I can return to you. So that I can bless you, so that I can pour my love out for you. In Acts chapter 2, the way it started was it was an extraordinary move of God. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there was a small group of Christians... They're meeting in the same upper room where they'd shared the Passover, the Last Supper, 50 days. That's where the Pentecost, 550, comes into this holiday. 50 days after the Passover, they gather in the same room, but they're filled with angst. You would be too if you were them. There aren't a whole lot of you left. There's just a small group of believers. And you're all gathered together in Jerusalem because it's a holiday where people travel from all over the region to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish holiday. And you go back into the upper room and you're filled with angst because your leader is gone. You gave up everything, family, home, job, familiarity, everything to follow Jesus three years ago. Everything. You gave it all up to follow him. And now just three years later, he's gone. He said he would. In fact, he said something that was a little confusing to you right before he left. He said, it's to your advantage that I'm going to ascend to heaven. Because when I ascend, the promise of the Father from the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is going to descend upon you. And when he comes, he's going to come with power, Acts 1 verse 8. And he's going to empower you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's to your advantage. Why would Jesus, that's why it's confusing. Why would it be better for you not to be here with us, Jesus? Because Jesus knew he was God bound in a human body, so he could only be one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is God's love poured out, not just for Samson and Isaiah and Gideon, but for all people, for you, for all of us. God's Spirit poured out for us. So Jesus says, that's better for you. That everybody can receive what Gideon and Isaiah and Samson had. Everybody can be filled with this Holy Spirit. And it started to happen in that upper room with the disciples. Suddenly there's a rush of a mighty wind, extraordinary, miraculous things, bigger than this world, kinds of things happening of what's normal. Uh, 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 there's a shaking there's a, uh, uh, of the room they're in, and, and suddenly there's the most bizarre thing. There's what appears to be tongues of fire that appear and start dancing on tops of their heads, but they aren't being burned. And then they start speaking in languages, and other people are speaking in languages that nobody knows. It's called speaking in tongues. It's a 
gift of expressing our feelings through prayer to God. And they're using this to pray and to worship. They're speaking in these tongues. So, so now some of you are like, uh, check. Um, whew, wow. Okay, so the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is Lutheran, and I have no interest in following along in those footsteps. I don't want a tongue of fire dancing on my head. I don't want to start speaking in some language I don't know. People, like, what if that happens when I'm at school? What, what, what if that happens when I'm at work? I mean, what are the people across the cube going to think? I, my goodness, I, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah, you do, actually. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit filling you up is like the water coming out of your kitchen faucet. God's not going to embarrass you. You can, you can turn it down. You can shut it off. You can cool it down. There's a woman here at Hope once who was speaking in tongues during the service, and the Bible's pretty clear about that, said that's disruptive, you shouldn't let that happen. So I tried to, as graciously as I could, walk over to her, put my arm around her, and said, you have to stop. She says, I can't control it, I've got the Spirit, I'm speaking it, I can't stop. I said, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is not something that's uncontrollable, it's not something that possesses you. If you start speaking in tongues and you can't stop, that wasn't God. You need God really bad in that moment. But it wasn't God. This is a blessing. This is a gift. God's not going to push this on you and embarrass you with it. God wants to bless you with it. God wants to bless you with this new form of prayer if that's what you want. Or God wants to bless you with these spiritual gifts. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. As we read through the rest of Acts this summer, you're going to realize the Holy Spirit is showing up in almost every story. And people are experiencing a filling and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It goes from pilot light to full fire. Oh, it becomes normative. It becomes, this, this is what happens over and over and over again. But people misunderstand that. They think that means it has to be some sort of massive kind of, you know, miraculous experience. It's something extraordinary. No. It should be the most normal thing in your life. Like knowing that your loved ones love you. Like knowing that your loved ones love you. You see, as you read deeper into the New Testament, you quickly realize to be filled with the Holy Spirit me means to know that God loves me. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Who doesn't need more of that in this kind of world? More of the creator of the universe's love. Not just something that you can intellectually agree with, something that you feel. Something that is a reality in your life. God's love. God's joy. Regardless of whether it's a happy time or not for you. God's peace, which calms all the storms. Peace for the angst. Nothing less will do than God's spirit particularly in times such as this. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, this is what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It means to know how deep and how wide and how high God's love is for you. To experience it. To feel it. To be in the moment of it. In the same way that you have loved ones and when you feel their love, doesn't it bless you? Doesn't it encourage you? 
Doesn't it put a whole bunch of stuff in perspective? Isn't it bigger than all these things? Don't underestimate the power of love, especially when it comes from the creator of the universe. And don't push it away because somebody's told you you have to have some sort of extraordinary, uh, kind of miraculous experience in order to have the Holy Spirit fill you up. No, you just need to open your heart. Open the door. Behold. I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Let me in. What does that mean practically? It means giving God some space. And you might be surprised. A few years ago at our Alpha retreat, the first Alpha retreat I ever did, we have this Holy Spirit weekend that we do. And I still remember Sally and I drove up to Eldora to this Methodist Bible camp where we were having it. There weren't that many people there. Maybe a, two or three dozen people. Um, and I, for the first time, thought, I was telling Sally on the way up there, I said, I need to do three one-hour sessions teaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm a Lutheran. How's that going to go? And these are Lutherans that I'm going to be teaching to. We're going to spend the whole weekend talking about the Holy Spirit. This is going to go over not at all, is what I was thinking. And she said, well, just teach what the Bible says. So I just went through. I showed the verses. I walked them through. Old Testament, New Testament, the promise fulfilled on Acts 2. Boom, explosion. Whoa, you know, God's love is what it's really all about. One of the highlights of my spiritual life. It wasn't extraordinary. It was just, it was just love. God's love was in the room. And we felt it. And we could never be the same after that. God's love is here in this room for you right now. Whatever room, at whatever Hope Campus you're at, even if you're watching online in Tahiti, God bless you. <laughs> if you could invite us next week, that'd be great. Start, let's start a church in Tahiti, that'd be awesome. So wherever you are, God's love is there for you. It's available for you. Don't miss it. At one of those Alpha retreats, not long after that first one, a young man in our church named Jeremy Bauman showed up. His life was going good. He was married to a wonderful woman, Teresa, two kids. Uh, work is good. Uh, he's funny. He's talented. He's a good guy to be around. He had friends. Something, though, was missing, and he didn't even really notice it until he realized what he'd been missing. Maybe that's you. We don't have to exaggerate these stories that we share with you from time to time. Sometimes they're about somebody was completely lost, completely gone, and then God got a hold of them in radical transformation. Miraculous. Other times it's more times than not, actually, it's more like Jeremy. Life's going okay? Perfect? No, but it's going good. But something's missing. Something's not adding up. My soul still isn't satisfied. And that's the moment, much to your surprise, if you'll open up the door, God's love will overwhelm you in a wonderful, blessed way. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Jeremy. Who are you? It's a good question. Child of God is my, was my first response. Happily married uh, for 16 years and have two kids, an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. Life is good, you know, I have, I have no complaints. I grew up in uh, a small Lutheran church, but it didn't really, at the time, mean that much. My, my freshman year of college, um, on the same day, 
uh, my grandma died and a good friend of mine I grew up with who also went to Iowa State uh, committed suicide, which made me kind of, I don't want to say disavow God, but really made me question things and really is, is there a God really? And if so, why would these things happen? And then met my wife, you know, four years after that. She was really into her faith and, and God definitely used her to point me in the right direction. We went to Alpha and had a lot of questions. Uh, I remember standing up to get in line for communion. I mean, that's when God uh, became real to me. Uh, I was just was crying, but it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy and uh, definitely the Spirit uh, working through me. It was just an overwhelming sense of peace and love and comfort and just that the first sense that I've that I had in my whole life that this is God and and He's real and He sent His Spirit to show me that. This is my first kind of time even thinking about that, like God actually has a plan. He wants me to do something particular. At the time there was a, a spiritual gifts class. God revealed to me that He wanted me to to evangelize, to share my faith, and to be in music. I picked up guitar and started playing here as well. The challenge that I have, and I think that probably we all have, is figuring out where God wants us to be and the path that He wants us to walk down. And thank God there's not been a ton of them, but all of the bad things, I can see where God has used all of those things for good, every single one of them. It's in those times you have to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say and again, follow that path. Admittedly, there are things I feel God saying, hey, do this, and I chicken out sometimes too, you know, I'm human. To know that I'm loved, no matter the stupid things that I say or the stupid things that I do, I try to show that love to my kids, um, knowing they're not perfect either, and I have to give them the same kind of grace and forgiveness that, that God gives me and everybody else. I want to model that behavior for Christ to point others to Him. God will instill in them the joy that only He can give. You know, you can be you might be temporarily filled up with getting a new car or a new house or whatever it is, but it's that stuff's temporary. God's love is forever. My life has just forever changed because of that. Jeremy, I don't want to embarrass you too much. Yeah, I do actually. Stand up. Uh, Jeremy's over there. If you're at a different campus or watching online, you might not be able to see him, but there's your, thank you, Teresa. Thanks for inviting him. Glad you came. Jeremy said it so well. He said it's God's love. It's God's joy. It's Galatians 5.22 coming to life. Jeremy wasn't even looking for it. Maybe you didn't come here looking for it today too, but it's here for you. It's here for you. And it's nothing less than life-changing. And nothing less will do. Perhaps now more than ever, we need the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus Christ to cover it all. I've got it. I've got it. And I've got you. My love poured out for you. Romans 5 says, we can't round up enough containers to hold God's love, to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings God's love to you. It's the Holy Spirit who, 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 who takes your spiritual dryness that you might be feeling and refreshes it, gives you new life. But you gotta make room for him. Return to me, God says, so that I can return to you. 
Make me a priority. I'm the Lord your God. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, no other idols before me. Even the good stuff in your life, your job, your family, your friends, your hobbies, the things that you do, those don't come before me, God says, because when they do, you lose me. God doesn't give us his commandment because he's trying to be rude. He gives us his commandment because he loves us and he doesn't want us to miss the best part of life this side of heaven, which is to know that we know that God loves us, to feel it, to actually experience it, not just to ponder it and say, yes, I know God is love and God loves people and I guess God loves me too, but to actually be in the moment of it. (laughs) At the end of Acts chapter 2, The crowd comes up to Peter, as I said earlier. But the question they ask is profound, and it's really simple, and it's maybe where you are right now. What should we do? Given that we live in this kind of world, and we have this kind of God, let's say we want to be filled by God's love, by his Holy Spirit. How does that work? How can we get it? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Ask him. Peter's response there in Acts chapter 2 is, change the way you think and turn around. Repent. That's what repent means. Change the way you think and turn around. Return to me so I can return to you, God says. Come back to me. No idols. Even the good stuff in your life doesn't come before me. Return to me, God says, so that I can bless you in this way. So I can give you what you need in a way that no one else can. They can't even begin to give us what we need. It's the power of love. And here's a sign. Here's a good place to start. At each of our campuses, we're about to share in the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Think about what that is. I mean, you you could just go through the motions of it. Or you could receive it for all it's worth. You could receive it for all of its power. This is the body of Christ. A God who loves you so much that he gave his body to you so that you could know God's love. This is the blood of Jesus Christ given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of our sins because God loves us. And love is a powerful thing. Last weekend, Sally and I were filled with angst. Maybe two or three of you think pastors must never have any moments of, you know, spiritual frustration. Yeah, we do. And it was more like in just day-to-day schedule stuff. We, weren't, we wanted to do all these things and we weren't able to do them. Among those, just because of the way our schedule's been going the last few weeks, because the angst was growing as a result of that. Uh, we got invited to all these wonderful graduation parties, a lot of them, people in our church family. We, we, we were all set to go on our calendar, ready to go. We wanted to go, and every single time, something came up. Either a meeting went too long here or something happened after a service when we were going to go to one of those parties and we couldn't go or something happened with Sally's schedule and we weren't able to go. So we're walking in, we're talking about that as we come in and say, well, I guess we'll just have to send cards. So cards in the mail. But we were feeling not good about it. Uh, and we sat down right over there where we always do, and I wasn't preaching last weekend. It was nice to get a break, and Mark Brandt was just nailing it and bringing the word, and the music was awesome, and the fellowship. We just got to hang out with our church family. Nothing extraordinary, just wonderful, ordinary worship here at Hope that we could take for granted if we aren't careful. 
But we walked out of here completely different than the way we walked in. That's love. God's love was here for us. The love of a church family that we share with each other was here for us. It's a powerful thing. Have you tapped into it? Or do you just take it for granted and go through the motions? The next morning we got up. The reason we came to Saturday night service last weekend, even though I wasn't preaching, is our, my nephew was graduating from high school in Naperville, Nequa Valley High School. 897 seniors in his graduating class. And that school didn't exist 20 years ago. Things are changing. So we are getting there. We had to get up at like 4 to get on the road by 4.30 to try to get there. Their graduation was Sunday morning at 10 a.m. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But I'm just going to let you sit with that for a moment. Public high school graduation on this. Oh, well, it's just church time. That's not going to bother anybody. Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Fortunately, we attend a church, this one, that has services Saturday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, so it's okay. But my heart breaks for my pastor friends who are in smaller churches that just have one service on Sunday morning. How do they compete with stuff, stuff like that? What on earth are they supposed to do? That's another, I'm going to leave that alone. So we're on the road and everything's fine. My smartphone told us we were going to be 15 minutes early. 16, if you really want to know the specifics. And I was making up time as I was going, too. I was, I was thinking 18 by the time we got there. And you know, if that happens, you get a cookie or something. I don't know. I was, I was really excited about that. So we're coming to the graduation ceremony. We're right on time. We're ahead of time. And then there's road construction. It's not bad enough on I-88 in Illinois that they make you pay to drive on their road. <laughs> but now you have to get, put it in park and just sit there. And I'm looking and I'm seeing the time. We've, we didn't get to the graduation until 12 minutes after it started. Awkward, embarrassing, semi-humiliating. Two seats are ready for us, right in the middle of the row. Excuse us, excuse us, excuse us. Come there, excuse. They're still doing pomp and circumstance. Fortunately, that senior class was so big, they needed a lot of pomp, so they're still all coming in. We sit down, and 17 hours later, when the graduation ceremony got done, I'm sitting next to my brother, who I don't always like. <laughs> and he doesn't always like me either, but we love each other deeply because we've been doing life together for as long as we can remember. And his lovely wife and their two kids, and it was an, an excruciating experience, you know, just to endure. And then afterwards we went out for Chinese food, which wasn't really all that great, but our nephew's favorite is Chinese, so the food wasn't great, the, we were late for the ceremony, nothing was adding up right. But it was awesome, because there was love between family, between people who do life together, and it makes it all worth it. We didn't have to have a perfect dinner. We didn't have to be 15 minutes early. We didn't have to have everything work out perfectly. We just needed that love. We got home that night, hightailed it back to West Des Moines because our daughter was in town on break from school. We celebrated her birthday, which was the next morning, but she was flying out at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to go back to South Carolina, so we wanted to take her out on Sunday night. Nothing extraordinary happened, but it was awesome because there was love between loved ones, people who do life together. 
The next morning, we helped move our son to Ames. He's the new campus minister at Hope Ames, and he's moving from seminary in the Twin Cities here. But I told him, stop by the house in West Des Moines where you grew up, because we've been holding on to some of your stuff, and it's in storage. We've been holding it for seven years. So you're going to bring that U-Haul to our house. And we're going to load it up, and you're taking it to Ames. And so he drove in and he got out of the U-Haul and I showed him all the stuff that we'd been storing faithfully for him for seven years. And he says, you know, I'm not interested in too much of this stuff. <laughs> I said, you'll get interested in it is what you'll do. <laughs> this has been taking up space in our storeroom for seven years. <laughs> I wanted to pinch his head off. <laughs> And then we had to go through the grueling details of moving in a U-Haul. It was awesome. Because <laughs> there was love with people we do life together with. Don't underestimate the power of love and hear this. Nobody loves you more than your Heavenly Father. Talk about people you should be doing life with, a God you should be doing life with. Nobody loves you more than your Heavenly Father. How often do you pause and receive that? How often do you hang out with this God? Return to me so I can return to you.